Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love, I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. You know, it could be the first movie about priests actually written by a priest. The feature-length film, Trinity's Triumph, chronicles the story of three young seminarians as they journey towards taking their vows um, and beyond. It stars actor Joe Morton, who many will remember from his roles in big-budget movies like Speed and Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Now, the saga, though, is based on the life of a New Jersey priest, Father Stephen Fichter. And it lifts the veil, really, on the struggles many priests have, making this ultimate commitment. And Father Richter, uh, sorry, Fichter, Father Fichter actually wrote the screenplay. And he was helped along and encouraged by some pretty famous folks like uh, award-winning Italian director Franco Zaffarelli, who absolutely, who died in 2019. And I think even Martin Sheen, although he might have to correct me on that. But Father Victor is the pastor of St. Elizabeth of Hungary Parish in Wyckoff, New Jersey. He also works as a research associate for CARA, which is the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate at Georgetown University. And he joins me now. Welcome, Father Victor. Thank you, Lauren. I'm happy to be with you and all your listeners. Ah, this is so amazing. Um, I I watched the film uh, last night before uh, talking with you today, and I just like, why make this film? It was really a wonderful film, by the way, but why make this film? And what even gave you the belief that, you know, you could do this? I mean, this is like a 25-year project, right? Yes, it was a 25-year project, and uh, there were many times over this past quarter century that I thought it would never come to uh, fruition. But my original idea actually came when I was living in Rome uh, from 1993 to 2000. And by that time, there was already you know, a decline in the number of young men entering the priesthood. And I felt very strongly in my own vocation to the priesthood uh, that God was calling you know, more young people to serve him. And I wanted to, you know, make a movie that would be attractive to the modern generation, because when you looked back at that time, you know, the only movies that were actually, you know, positive about the priesthood were basically black and white movies, like <laughs> yes. the St. Mary's or Going My Way with Bing Crosby. And as much as that might have inspired my parents' generation, <laughs> um, you know, for us, it was black and white. So I wanted to do something in my original script, though. Um, the original title was Daring to be Different, and it was the story of this one young man and his journey mm-hmm. um, res- trying to respond to the call, trying to be generous to God and the sacrifice they had to make along the way. And then just serendipis- serendipitously, um, a friend of a friend when I was living in Rome knew Franco Zeffirelli, and as you mentioned in your intro, I was able to um, get my script to Franco through the friend of a friend. Wow. 
Um, and I, you know, sometimes when you do something like that, you figure you probably never hear back from this famous person. And I always loved Franco Zephyr. Yeah. I mean, when I was a child growing up in the 70s, that he made that movie called Jesus of Nazareth. It was like the eight hour long version. It was on one hour every night on Sunday night, kind of like when they did Roots. I yeah. remember as well, another movie where they kind of showed the movie, you know, this every you know, one hour at a time over these like eight weeks or whatever. So I, and I always loved his version of Jesus of Nazareth. And I thought, you know, why not give it a try? Well, he loved it. Uh, wow. Franco really thought I had a great idea and he invited me to his villa on the outskirts of Rome. And Whoa. I remember I there. it was a Sunday afternoon um, and he was just absolutely delightful. He said, I, I see what you're trying to do. I think it's wonderful. He says, however, cin cinematographically, um, it would make it a better movie if you made it about the story of three young men rather than one. Ah. And that would kind of each of the three you know, wind up taking a bit of a different path, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, but during that time, I was still finishing my studies in Rome. I was doing a lot of work. I was also traveling around the world a lot, doing a lot of different projects. So this was definitely something that was on the back burner, but something I enjoyed, a story that I wanted to be told someday. And then in 2000, I, I came back to the U.S. And as I came back to the U.S., um, uh, and I kind of got a real dose of what real life is for a priest, because when you're in the seminary, it's kind of like you're in the little greenhouse and <laughs> everything is, you know, very clear and simple and black and white. And, and then you get into the real world and it's, you know, it's 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 gray and it's more complicated than what your textbooks taught you. And um, in a number, I, I went through some of my own, you know, uh, rethinking of things. Some of my friends decided to leave the priesthood to get married. Um, and then in 2004, the whole sexual abuse crisis really erupted. Wow. At least that's when I remember it erupted in Boston and spread throughout the country. And it was really difficult. I remember in particular that weekend when that uh, Boston globe article came out and it just i remember getting into the pulpit lauren and i had this whole homily that i was going to say and i just broke down into tears oh. i just i was so um befuddled by it so saddened by it so repulsed by it and so you know just unbelieving like oh my gosh how could this happen and then you know that reality came in and you know and again just the church was going through struggles right, the priest right. and um and i met this woman at my parish at that time saint gabriel's uh, her name is kathy carson she wound up becoming my co-author and co-producer and she had worked in you know television and radio and commercials and stuff like that and i told her i said listen this is what i originally wrote this is what Franco Zeffirelli told me. This is what's happened in the ensuing, you know, five or six years. Mm -hmm. I feel even more compelled now to, you know, share this story. And it was great. We started reworking it, reworking it. And we were blessed that at our parish, uh, Mary Higgins Clark wow. uh, was a partner. And Mary, I mean, I loved Mary. And when I first met her, I had no idea who she was. <laughs> um, it was really, it's actually quite a funny story. She was at daily mass, it was during Lent. And uh, to me, she was just another parishioner in the pews. A mass was over. I was standing at the back. And she's like, Father Steve, nice to meet you. And she goes, I have a question for you. I'm writing this book, and I need this quote from the Bible. And and at that time, you know, the Internet wasn't that popular, uh -huh. I guess. Or, and she wanted me to find this. So I 
found the scripture she was looking for from St. Paul. I called her up and uh, she goes, and how do you spell your last name? And blah, blah, I gave it to her. And then when the book came out, like whatever, five, six months later, uh, friends of mine in the U.S. across the country who I didn't know were big readers of her novels, um, they all said, oh, Steve is back. Steve is back. And, uh, and then I realized who she was is like the highest paid woman author in the world. And Mary was just such a devout, wonderful Catholic. So what Kathy, sorry, I'm I remember I do remember her because she was at several Catholic fundraising events. Um, she I think it was what is it? Um, the annual um either the Al Smith dinner or it was the uh, the Archbishop or the Cardinal's luncheon or some big uh, Catholic fundraiser. And I remember seeing her there every year. She was amazing. Oh, she was truly amazing. And she grew up in the same area. I, you know, I was at her funeral. Mary and I had a lovely, lovely relationship. And she'd have me over for dinner at her house. I visited her down the shore. Um, it just, she was like... Um, I don't know, just like a, almost like a motherly, a grandmotherly figure in my life. <laughs> and and Mary was just really just so amazing, accomplished woman and really like rags to riches. And if you're ever interested, actually, her autobiography, which is called Kitchen Privileges, mm-hmm. is just amazing. It shows like from, you know, kind of rags to riches and all the different things that happened in between. But, you know, her constant you know, set of values that were really her Catholic values that guided her through her her life. But but anyway, with with Mary, I said, Mary, listen, because at that stage I was like finishing my doctorate. Um, I had already gotten my three or four master's degrees by that time. <laughs> I was teaching. I was working in the parish, and I've always loved like you know the intellectual research work. And um, and I said, Mary, I have so much going on in my life, but I have this project. I really like this. Kathy's helped me, and Kathy and I presented to Mary, and I said, Mary, listen. If it is a piece of junk, I want you to be brutally honest with me because mm-hmm. then I'll let this one go. But if you think I have a really good story here, I'd love to get your input. And uh, so after Mary you know, read it and like a week or two later, she called us over and she said, I love this. Wow. She said, a beautiful story. Actually, she encouraged me to write it as a book before making it into a movie. And I said, Mary, I love your advice, but I don't know why I have this thing in my head that it it really should be a movie. That's how I... You know, right, right. But why, do, why did she say make a book first? Because she's an author and she understands things through sort of the longer form novel? Yeah, I think that was it. And I think also, too, that some of her novels have been turned into movies. And that was really, you know, her comfort zone. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, she, mm-hmm. You know, she wrote in that way. Um, but what she really helped with, you know, besides a little advice, and we go back and forth. And um, But there was one particular scene uh, that was pretty drastic. And I don't want to give any spoiler alerts here. And <laughs> when Father Tom is going through his crisis, which you can see the angst he's going through in the movie, I, I kind of ratcheted up a little bit more. And it was very funny because Kathy, my co-author, and I, we were going back and forth. And she's like, that's too intense. You got to scale it back. And I said, well, let's let Mary decide. And uh, we went with Mary and Mary's like, father, Kathy's right. And I was like, okay, all right. 
gave up that scene. Um, but it was uh, really beautiful. And, and she was just very encouraging with it. And uh, and so from there then, but what happened, Lauren, is so once I felt like I had that affirmation and that approval and that support, encouragement from, you know, two really amazing storytellers in our world, I decided, well, how can I get this made? Yeah, because and, budget, I mean, you everybody can come up with a great script. The Financing is always going to be a huge hurdle for a lot of movies getting made. Correct, correct. And and I really was trying a lot of like, you know, backdoor maneuvers. I had some friends that were like, you know, actors in Hollywood, you know, starving artists. <laughs> yeah. Trying to- and saying, hey, do you know anyone? So we got connected to this person, that person, but things really didn't work out. I felt we were kind of spinning our wheels. I wanted to get some big name actors, um, but anytime you try to approach a big name actor, which is very hard to do anyway, right. they want to know who's the director and where's the money. And so it's kind of like a dog chasing its tail because then if you try to go to a big name director, they're like, well, who's your actor? Where's your money? Right. And then you to go to the money people, they're like, yeah, I'll support you, but who's your actor and who's this? So after a while, I realized, like, all right, th- this is like a dog chasing its tail. The one thing I could perhaps do is, you know, raise money. I had lived in Europe for 12 years, and I grew up here right outside New York City. And um, I got financing from friends of mine in, in Germany and in England and, you know, other friends, guys I went to high school with. Uh, and we were able, it's a very low budget film. Yeah, what was, what was the total budget for the film, by the way? Total budget was half a million. Total half a million dollars, that's it? Yeah, and it looks like it's it looks like it's a ten million dollar movie. It does look it? a little bit more like that. Yeah, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. People are truly amazed. I think that's just the the modern technology that exists today, and it appears that on these bigger budgeted films, that a lot of the money goes to the big name actors. Right, right. Well, but, Joe Morton uh, is no slouch. I mean, Joe Morton. I mean, I when the minute the name was. I saw the name. It's like, oh, I know who that is. I mean, that's Speed. I mean, you saw him in Speed. You saw him in Terminator 2, Judgment Day. I mean, he's he's oh, a big name actor. And, oh, big name actor. And um, and his very famous movie that I had never heard of before, but everyone on set when we got there, they're like, Joe Morton, Joe Morton. He's that movie called Brother from Another Planet. And uh, I'd never heard of it before, but I went on to watch it. It was a movie made about racism in the U.S. Um, and it's I guess it's set back in the 60s or whatever. Absolutely fascinating. Joe plays an alien who comes to Earth with like these healing powers. Wow. And he's befuddled by the racism that exists in the society. He doesn't really have any uh, speaking words, but he's the main character. It's and but and the Hollywood world of, you know, all the crew members and stuff. It's a movie that everyone knows about. I had no I uh, listen, I admit I, I didn't know about this movie so, at all. I, so worth seeing. So worth seeing. And um you know, and it's 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 an older film, so some of their you know special effects are you know a little. Old. Um, but but Joe loved the script, and you know we were just talking the other day or texting a few weeks ago when we were going back and forth with some of these interviews, and he just said, "I, I really love this film. I really love the story." And uh, and and Joe, I, I wish he could be with us today. Unfortunately, he's on vacation. But um, but Joe, yeah, he really got into it. And most people that when they saw him at first, they remember remembered him from that show called Scandal, which mm. I had never seen. But they said on Scandal, he played like this really bad guy. 
And then he played in another show, TV show on CBS called God Friended Me, where mm. he played a Protestant, married Protestant minister whose son is becomes an atheist. And then, but on through Facebook, mysteriously, God friends this boy. And the boy thinks that the dad is playing tricks on him. Uh, but it, was a, it only lasted two years, unfortunately. But Joe played that role, which I think was a good Wow, award. that's really cool. Oh, he's an amazing actor that he can play like a really scary role on Scandal and then a really yeah. warm role on God Friended Me or obviously in ours on he's that wisdom figure. Um, um, let, me, so- I, let me let me take a break. I just want to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back with Father uh, Stephen Victor talking about his film Trinity's Triumph. We'll be right back. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And we're back with uh, Father Stephen Victor, who is the screenplay uh, writer, the screenwriter and producer um, of uh, the, the, the film Trinity's Triumph. And you can you can get, you can stream it. I mean, because it's available. I watched it just last night. But I wanted to know about the the, the Father Heck uh, character that Joe Morton plays. Now, is this a real character or is this a um, conflagration of a lot of different you know uh, uh, teacher priests at seminaries? Okay, sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say not only of Monsignor Heck, but all of the characters are a composite of different priest friends of mine, mm-hmm. or some parts are even autobiographical in my own uh, life, but none of them is exactly one person. But Monsignor Heck, it's, Heck is actually a family name, and there was a Monsignor Heck in my great grandparents' generation. Um, and in my grandparents' generation, there was also three uh, priests. So in my family, you know, we've had a lot of priests and everything. A lot of, had a, my, lot of heck, huh? <laughs> a lot of heck, a lot of heck. Uh, yeah, actually, one time I was promoting the movie, instead of Trinity's Triumph, I was going to call it Holy Heck. But um, <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad other people convinced me not to do that. Um, but, uh, but anyway, in, in Trinity's Triumph, which you're absolutely right, you can see it on a multitude of platforms. And if anyone just goes to trinitystriumph.com, you'll see right at the top of the website, there's icons to click directly to Apple TV, to Amazon, to Google Play, to YouTube, Roku, Tubi. I mean, the whole bunch of different platforms, which I hope people will, you know, buy or rent or film and uh, and do that. But um, Monsignor Heck, predominantly, to answer your question, really embodies my spiritual director for 13 years. May mm-hmm. he rest in peace. His name is Father Bill Porton, uh, SJ. He was a Jesuit priest. Um, I got to know him when he was at Fordham, but he used to be the director of the retreat house in Morristown, um, New Jersey. And uh, he was my spiritual director. It really helped me through a lot of you know, major developmental issues in my own uh, priesthood and everything. And he started off as my spiritual director and then really became one of my dearest friends. And so many of the words that you hear Monsignor Heck speak in the movie 
were words that uh, Father Bill had said to me um, at different stages. So uh, a wisdom fig figure, beloved person. He died shortly before the pandemic began. Mm. Um, and at the end of the movie, I, I mentioned, uh, I do it in memoriam of uh, Franco Zeffirelli, Mary Heaton Clark, uh, Father Bill Porton, and uh, a little boy, Tommy Fitzgerald, who, uh, f uh, sorry, Fitzpatrick, who, um, Tommy Fitzpatrick, who died in our parish of brain cancer, but just a little kid that uh, oh, was wow. very meaningful in my life so but anyway so monsignor heck is that uh wonderful um person who guides the three young characters and each of those three young characters represent different friends of mine different experiences that we've all gone through so the i think the, the father joe character seems to fit you that, and, and, and I, that's you know, his name is not father joe victor or anything like that but but it seems to fit you. Is is he more like you? Yes, he did. Yeah, and his name is Joe Finnerty. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> my middle name, my middle name is Joseph. So yes, uh, you're very observant, and uh, you know all of my friends. And even in the movie, we have him wear my favorite uh, mass vestments. Um, so the scenes where you see him celebrating mass. He's using it. And uh, and that actor, Josh Wills, is his real name. He was a pleasure to work with. He was just an amazing actor. And uh, I really enjoyed getting to know him. Uh, and then, but yes, he's definitely plays more me. And he, I, seems, I he seems to go through a great deal more emotional transition than the other two because he has to stick, he sticks with the priesthood. But you hear his struggles. And I think this is what's really important. And one of the things, you know, going back to Father Heck, one of the lines that I thought was just so powerful that you know this is a different kind of priest movie. He says in the seminary, they're sort of, you know, the first class. He says, you are setting out on an extraordinary odyssey to answer the highest of all calls. That to me just blew me away in terms of understanding the priesthood and how priests must look at this 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 vocation oh without a doubt and it's one of those things when you first sense that call to the priesthood i think all of us or at least all of my friends there is that you know, sense of unworthiness that you know feel that god is calling you to you know basically as we say in catholic theology you know to act in persona christi you know in in the person of christ and and when we're in at mass and the the high point of the mass the consecration where we utter the same exact words that jesus spoke in the last supper you know you're realizing that they're huge sandals that you're trying to step into mm. and yet we're all so aware of our own fragility and our sinfulness and our you know weaknesses so um yeah he really he he does a great job, I think. And what we're trying to show in the movie is show that human side to the priesthood. Yes, it's a calling from God, and it's something that the church discerns as a community, and then individual discerns. Um, and then ultimately, you know, it's that step of generosity of the young person. And, and we try to show those sacrifices of, you know, not having a, a wife and a family and, you yeah. know, some of that loneliness that, that sets in. Um, but also, so, yeah. but also, I think it's very important and you don't pull any punches in terms of what people's ideas about the priesthood is. You deal with the sexual abuse issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You deal with a priest wanting to be married um, and mm -hmm. debating his superior about why can't we? Because mm -hmm. he's in love with a woman. 
And mm-hmm. these are very, and I think it was the eye opener that priests really do have to struggle with this because there is an impression that once you've made this commitment, you no longer struggle with these issues. And that's yeah, not true. That's definitely not true. And uh, I think that's true of but every vocation. I think so many married couples I know that, you know, they... Uh, they totally, you know, love being married to each other and things are going great. But, you know, sometimes people rethink things and sometimes people get divorced and remarried and, you know, different things that happen. And I think uh, that's what we're trying to show that that human side of the priesthood that, you know, we're just like everyone else. We we try our best to, to love God and love our neighbor. Um, and sometimes the struggles are really powerful. And I've had a number of my friends who have left the priesthood in order to get married. Some of my nearest and dearest friends really have gone through that. And, uh, and you know, and for some of them, I know that many people shunned them. Mm-hmm. And I, I always thought that that was not what Jesus would do. And, and so whenever my friends have gone through those struggles, I've always tried to be there for them, to support them um, to the best of my ability. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I can still hear you. You know, one of the things okay. that's very interesting, though, um, we, do, we do know the number of priests are in decline. I mean, you've talked about this. I mean, this was in, you know, 25 years ago. And, and plus, you know, when the abuse um, crisis just erupted, I mean, it was a huge deal. Um, it drove a lot of people. Perhaps that was a reason why um, young men did not join the priesthood. But I think it's a very interesting statistic that according to the Vatican, um, America has like 48% of the priests worldwide, 48% of the priests, um, 48% of the Catholics, 48% of the Catholics live uh, worldwide live in America, but it has only 29% of the, of the Catholic priests. So you've got... Um, I think that's the Americas. And the Americas. North, North and South and Central yeah. America. But see, the idea, but there is, I think... Maybe I'm wrong, but I think there is a a, a problem, particularly in the Western world, uh, for priests. Be- I, yeah. I, I, I would, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that it, there is a hu- issue in the Western world because when I went to St. John's, uh, St. Joe's, I think it's the seminary in, in Yonkers, mm-hmm. um, th- like the vast majority of the seminarians were actually from outside the country; they were not yes. Americans. Yes, you know, you're absolutely right. And the priesthood, the um, we've had so many more international priests coming to the United States to work. Uh, even in my own parish here at St. Elizabeth's, um, you know, one of the priests who works with us is from Africa. The other priest who works with us is originally from Korea, uh, though he came to the U.S. when he was 10. I mean, it's just, it is a Western uh, world type thing. So Western Europe and the United States in particular um, but also, too, it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than that because, um, you know, in the in Europe and in the United States, we were so used to having so many priests mm-hmm. and countries like Ireland uh, and Italy were sending out missionaries all throughout the world. And then I think a lot of the secularization that's kicked in over the last 50 years, I think the sexual abuse crisis, which I wish – we didn't have to include in our movie because I wish it never happened, yeah. uh, but we had to include it. Um, but we've been used to, in those type of places, having one priest for every thousand Catholics. And now it's creeping up to one priest for every 2,000 Catholics. However, if you go to the two biggest countries in the Americas in terms of Catholic population, Brazil and Mexico, for years and years and years, they've had one priest for every 10,000 or every 12,000 wow. Catholics. 
So, you know, it's kind of like what you get used to um, that you think so many times when people in the United States here say, oh, we have so few priests. I'm like, well, yeah, it seems that way, but we're five or six times better Mm. (laughs) than countries that aren't that far away from us so um and that's what i'm really trying to do is um you know restore um the appeal to the priesthood i would hope that a young person seeing this would identify with joe tom or mike and see hey they're just like me and they have their struggles because i think like what you said before i think some people think like oh if you become a priest like there's no more problems or you have to be perfect you know to be a priest and and of course you know people are not that's not realistic. So our movie was definitely trying uh, to open up those doors and those horizons. But you're absolutely right. For example, in Africa, I mean, the number of young men that they're ordaining to the priesthood, you know, is exponentially greater than it is here in the U.S. So now we're having a lot of priests come over from mm. Ghana. Nigeria and other places to serve. So, you know, it's interesting. There was a stage where the Western world was sending priests down to Latin America and to Africa. (laughs) And now it's those two continents sending priests back up. But I think that's the beauty of the of the Catholic Church. The word Catholic from the Greek means universal. And it really is that it's a it's a community that Christ founded to you know be of service to the whole world and i i think it's lovely here like i i love living with an african priest and a korean priest and an american priest i mean it's a really great variety and you get different viewpoints and um but anyway i'm diverging but, but i think it's also interesting i mean i actually going back to the whole the priesthood which i want to bring that you actually brought it up before a little bit and but you know i asked a priest who was in charge of you know the formation at, at, a, at a seminary about why it's so hard to find young men to join the priesthood. And he said, which I surprised me, but makes sense. He says it's not just about the priesthood. It's the idea of commitment in marriage, um, that there is, you know, there, there's this problem for a younger generation. I mean, they grow up being told that the highest good is their individual happiness. And so, um, you know, plus sex side of side of marriage is very pretty much expected. So, it's, which you know, that kind of drives a wedge between love and sex. It's no longer the element that binds a couple emotionally. So it's just this idea that there is a problem of commitment in itself. I mean, marriage for a lot of people, you know, they, they joke about having a starter marriage, you know. So they just, oh, I'll just do this and then, you know, next one. So is this really part of a, a larger issue with a generation that just is not trained to commit to anyone or anything. I, I do think you're right. And actually, and the three books that I've written, uh, the, the first one, you know, focused on a 50-year look-back study on the priesthood in America. And Andrew Greeley, may he rest in peace, he was an amazing researcher, Catholic priest, um, who he, in 1972, I think it was, when he wrote a book, and that's when the exodus from the priesthood in the United States first began. And then over the years, he would write, you know, follow-up studies But I remember at one stage, he came up with the fact that in this one particular generation of priests, one out of every four priests left, and the vast majority of them left to get married. Mm. And you would think it's almost like a failure of the priesthood. He said, but if you look at Catholic marriages of that same age group, 25% of marriages from that same cohort also ended in divorce. Mm. 
I think it really goes to your point, and he was talking about that, you know, statistics from the 70s and 80s and 90s, but I, I do think it's hard for young people. I mean, we're, we're definitely growing up in a secularized world. Um, you know, I think in many ways, sports has become the new religion in yeah. the United States. It's, you know, it's not that people don't believe in Jesus or they don't believe in his real presence in the Eucharist or they don't believe that we should help and serve the poor. I mean, they don't really have major issues with it. It seems like, you know, sports has just overtaken um, everything. I mean, I have families that come to me and say, you know, we couldn't get to mass because, you know, we had a game over here. We had to drive an hour over there. Then we had another game here. And um, that's why at my parish, actually, we offer uh, Sunday evening mass besides the yeah. Sunday mornings and that. And I said it to the parishioners, listen, you know, we're going to offer this so that you can, you know, make it to church every week. And, and now it's probably one of our most popular masses. I mean, well, it's hundreds. You're so true, though. I mean, look at I mean, a number of football games, NFL football games that are on Christmas Day, Thanksgiving yeah. Day, Easter. Um, these are, these used to be sacred holidays where you didn't do anything on Christmas or Easter because it was so sacred to the faith. And now it's just like a, like a supporting character to the to the latest you know NFL or or NBA game. Yeah. Oh, and I every year I and I totally agree with what you just said. But almost every year, and I love baseball. I I it's just a game I've always loved. But so many years, opening day for baseball falls on like Good Friday. Yeah. I mean, Good Friday of all the days. I mean, you know, Christmas is joyful, Easter is joyful, you know, whatever. But Good Friday is such a sacred, solemn, profound, should be silent day. And they're having opening day of baseball. I, you know, and you couldn't delay it one day or something. You know, well, what I'm also, saying? It's, it's just the idea is like if people, if their faith were the most important thing. Then they wouldn't. They wouldn't go. They'd say, "I'm sorry, it's Good Friday, and I can't be there." Or, "I'm not going to buy the tickets for Good Friday. I'm not going to buy the tickets for Christmas Day, or for Easter Day." Or, I mean, you just, you just, this, if society, like, would actually commit to their faith, it, you know, if you had, if you were a Christian, you actually committed to your faith, you'd say, "I'm sorry, we can't do it on Sunday because we go to church Sunday morning," and say, "No little league games, no this." And just make that commitment. And it's hard. I mean, to, and that actually proves how secular this country has become and how even if you're a religious person, how you fall, you know, that secular, the secular humanism has become the default religion of, you know, the public square of the society. Right. Yeah. And, and I do agree with all of that. You know, however, I mean, I also see a lot of I, I, we have a lot of young families that come to church here every week, you know, and they're juggling it and they'll have the kids play the sports maybe in the afternoon. But, you know, they do make it a priority. And I mm -hmm. do think, you know, that's something that we try to create a very warm, welcoming environment here and try to give people a wide variety of opportunities so that they can meet their obligations. But you're absolutely right. It's at times I feel like Sisyphus, you know, where we <laughs> rock up the hill and there's so many you know, factors that weigh against it. But um, but there are a lot of, I, I do see that. We have a Catholic grammar school here, part of our parish, and, you know, we're near maximum capacity and our, our religious ed program. Last year, we had a bumper crop. We had 156 baptisms in our church, which means wow. like 
every second or third day some child was being born here. So, and the people are bringing their kids to church. Now, you know, I'd love to see them come more often and, you know, <laughs> there's a lot more that we could do, but, you know, it's, it's, they're here. And I think rather than browbeating them, um, it's just to really encourage them to establish that personal relationship with Christ and make that, you know, commitment the, the core cornerstone of their lives. But it's a process, you know, we're not going to give up, we're going to keep, you know, trying. And that's in part what Trinity's Triumph, as our movie was trying to do, is to, as many people said to me afterwards, after they watched the movie, they said, wow, I feel... I feel more Christian. I feel more committed. I I feel better about our church and our community. So I hope that, you know, anyone who does get the chance to watch it will have that same thing and that their lives will be transformed and that yeah. if they've become somewhat, you know, lukewarm in the practice of their faith, that they'll, whatever denomination they may be, that they will, you know, go back and rekindle that commitment to love God with all our heart and soul and to love our neighbors ourselves. Because as Christ taught us, that's that's the greatest commandment. And that's where we, what we're all called to do. And I, I pray that our movie will be a little you know, effort in that right direction is there's so many other great things that are happening as well. Um, are you in the film? Did I see your mug in the film in the, uh, in, in the, uh, I have, yes, I have my Hitchcock moments. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> You're very observant. You're very observant. Yes. Yeah. So I, I get to say Merry Christmas at the Christmas party, uh, when they're serving the punch bowl or something like that. And then at the ordination scene, I yes. really, I, I was, and I that smile that you see on my face was, you know, the joy that was coming through. I mean, it's just such a, an amazing thing to, um, you know, be there. And that particular actor who plays Father Tom, you know, his career is taking off right now too. Young Massino, and uh, you know, so we're really happy. And Narcy Regina, she plays Maddie. I know her career is uh, really moving in a great direction now too. And it was just, it was a it was a wonderful family. Oh, and Michael Wickham, our director. Mm. Oh my God. I so much enjoyed working with him and uh, he had been an altar server when he was a young kid. So he really, you know, understood church and uh, and he's just uh, an amazing person to work with. And he understood all the different angles. I, I learned so much from him and, you know, he really respected our story. He helped to fine tune, you know, the script and uh, just a joy to work with. It, it was a beautiful, beautiful yeah. experience. Yeah. But, you know, and I, I just one last question, I, because I want to get your take. And I obviously I've watched the film and it goes through struggles. But what did you personally struggle with when you were studying in seminary and and even now in the priesthood? Yeah, so, well, in the seminary, um, you know, I think the the struggles in the seminary, for me, at the very beginning, uh, because I was with a group that was very demanding, it was, you know, complete, really, I cut off from family. And, uh, you know, it was was a difficult moment. It was like really, you know, leaving everything, you know, to follow Christ and, you know, you, you leave your family and your friends behind, you know, eventually you, you do reconnect and stuff. But I think that's the initial thing is to, uh, you know, leave so many other opportunities behind. But I felt, you know, it's worth the effort. I feel Christ is calling me to the priesthood. That would be a whole nother long uh, podcast to go into <laughs> it with you. 
Um, but I felt, you know, and if it doesn't work out, I, I can always leave. And, you know, most of the guys I entered the seminary with didn't make it through to priesthood. And that would be my idea as well, that that's at least if you feel God's calling you, give him a try, you know, go into the seminary. If it doesn't, if it's not for you after a year, you can go home and there's no shame in that. You haven't lost much. You've probably gained a lot in your understanding of the Bible and, and church history, et cetera, et cetera. And then as a priest, I think my struggles have often been more that kind of loneliness factors at times. As much as you may live in a rectory with other priests, um, and you can do a lot of good. And I love being a priest. I love being at uh, at weddings, at baptisms, at, at, even at funerals. Um, you know, and as a priest, you're just you're you're at such privileged moments in people's lives and i'm there as a marital counselor i'm there to help people when they're estranged from families i'm a peacemaker i try to you know explain the bible to make it relevant to people there's so much of the priesthood that i absolutely love um, and that's what's, you know, kept me through. But there's definitely been times when you, you know, like that could be displayed in the movie, like when Father Joe does that wedding and that couple that kisses like right in front of him and then they go off into their happy life, you know, as a priest, as you remember seeing in the movie, <laughs> you blow out the candles and you put away the chairs. And it's just it, at times it tugs at your heartstrings like, gosh, I gave up that possibility to have a wife and my own children and uh you know, it's that that can sometimes, you know, be there. And I think most priests go through that. But then you realize that, you know, there's so many other blessings that God gives you. And, you know, celibacy is definitely, uh, you know, a sacrifice, but it's also the gift. And I'm in so many different people's lives in so many beautiful ways. So, um, but th those are the type of things that we go through. And then I think sometimes, too, probably the last thing is the times and I don't know if it's just me, but I think other brother priests have expressed this to me. Any time you feel like, how much of a difference am I making? Um, mm -hmm. You know, you really, you want to make the world a better place. You want to bring people back to God. You want to do all these things. And I'll just end with this funny story. One time at my previous parish, I was giving a homily all about brotherly love and about kindness and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And there's this family sitting up in the front row and the mom was on one end, the dad was on the other, three kids were in the middle. And uh, when I finished my homily, the older brother bops his little brother right on the head. And the little guy goes sliding underneath. And and I just finished this wonderful, I thought, very you know impactful homily on brotherly love. And uh, and the mother just looked at me and she like shrugs her shoulders. And uh, oh well, <laughs> you know it's 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 a funny story, but it's just you know it to me it's more emblematic that you know I, I really do want our world to be a world where you know there is peace and there's kindness and there's respect and there's mercy and there's forgiveness. And there's attention to the needs of the poor and that we all remember that Matthew 25, you know, when Jesus tells us what the final exam on our lives will be, you know, did you feed the hungry? Did you clothe the naked? I mean, all of these things that are so important. And, you know, I try so hard uh, to do that. And I know I think our parishes are doing well that I've served in, but I always feel like, am I doing enough? Am I reaching out to those people who have been estranged uh, from the church? And maybe sometimes for good reasons. And that's also part of what the movie tries to do is reach out to those who maybe have fallen away to say, hey, we're we're gonna show you our warts. We're gonna show you our defects. And, you know, we're not gonna hide that, but, you know, we really do love God and we really do try to serve our communities. But 
probably this probably a longer answer than you expect <laughs> or hoping for, but I'm so enjoying this conversation with you, Lauren. Um, really, thank you for having me on. Well, thank you for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. And just once again, where can people uh, see the movie uh, Trinity's Triumph? Uh, so uh, they can see it on numerous different platforms. So it's on Apple TV, Amazon, uh, Google Play, YouTube, to be a whole bunch but the best thing for them to do i recommend all of your listeners to go to our website trinitystriumph.com um and then on there you can see the trailer you can see the actors uh you can see um the platforms and you just click on those icons and it'll lead you right to where you can uh, acquire the movie wow uh, father stephen victor thank you so much for being on lighthouse faith podcast it's been an absolute joy to have you on and talk with you Thank you, Lauren. God bless you and all your listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. Have a blessed day. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.